guys are getting ready to head into hiatus. How many hiatuses are there? The mid-season hiatus is uh, anywhere from two weeks to three and a half. It's been four weeks and past long. Um, it's a time, you know, it really is a time for everybody to recharge their batteries and shut down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... Uh, there's this hiatus, and this, the winter hiatus is uh, usually anywhere from three to four months long, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, this year will probably be a bit longer, for, quite frankly, between this year and if there's a season two, because mm-hmm. uh, the Olympics are happening in Vancouver, and we can't be shooting right. in the Olympics and all that kind of thing, so we probably will start a little later next year than if we do come back. Can I ask where you're planning on going? Yeah, I'm going uh, tomorrow. I leave four days in Madrid, four days in Barcelona, and then four days in London. Wow, you're not going to get any rest. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm back in Vancouver for a whole week and a half to relax and do nothing after there that. There you go. So that's your genuine vacation right there. Yeah, exactly. So you were 20 years old when you started really getting involved in producing. How did you get involved in this? And was this something that you had always hoped to do? What's the story here, John? Well, it's weird. I um I was working on a TV movie. I was working for a producer named Tracy Jeffrey at the time who does a lot of she back then she did a lot of uh, low budget TV movies uh-huh. and all that. We had just finished 10 that year. Um 97, 96, 96. And uh they were all moment of truth movies, you know, woman in peril kind of uh You mean you Lifetime know. Channel, right? Well, they were NBC at the time. They were, you know, they were, you know, their, their NBC movie Disease of the Week where, uh, you know, it was the, the dentist got me pregnant or she woke up pregnant was one of them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they were, you know, Harry Hamlin and or all those, you know, people from L.A. Law and all those kind of TV shows, Jake and the Fat Man and all that kind of thing way back then. And um, we were working with a production manager at the time named Ron French. And Ron got the call from uh, Michael Greenberg to come in and interview for Stargate SG-1. And, and at that time, they were looking for stage space. And we were, the TV movies I was on were shooting out of the Norco Studios, where we, where we shot SG-1 for how many years. They came in for a little tour of the building. And at that point, I knew that Ron was interviewing for Stargate. And I said, that would be such an awesome show to work on because... As uh, for me, it was all about experience, and it, you know, any TV um, cop show or what have you has uh, is all talking heads. It's fairly straightforward. You shoot downtown, you shoot nights, you shoot cops. You know, talking heads. Stargate would give you the opportunity to shoot special effects, visual effects, everything. I saw the potential there as some a show that I would want to work on because of the experience that I gained, and so I convinced Ron to hire me as something. And that turned into, well, it was like it, you could work in the, I didn't know whether, I didn't want to go into the office at that time because I wasn't a member of any union or guild at the time. And so I said, if there's a producer's assistant job available, I'd love to do it. And Michael, I met Michael Greenberg there and he said, sure, we'd love to have you. So I got hired as their, he and Rick's assistant slash take care of all the, um, all the paperwork and everything for their company, Gecko Film Corp. at the time. They had a whole bunch of ongoing projects because if Stargate only went one or two years, they had other movies and series in the works that it, that they could pick up and run with once Stargate ended because, you know, first-year series, sci-fi series, who knew whether it was going to go longer than, you know, a year. Showtime had originally got involved for two years, I think, and then yes. a little ways in, they decided to pick up for four. So I imagine that must have been pretty exciting. Well, yeah, I mean... I think it was halfway in or three-quarters of the way in they decided to pick it up for four. 
I remember being on the set when they announced that. And um, at that point, I started transitioning. I was already involved in budgets and the numbers and everything from from the gecko side because Michael wanted me to be the analytical one who also looked through all the budget to make sure that nothing was being coded improperly, et cetera, et cetera, uh, from their perspective because they were a partner in participation and financially. And um, so I ended up doing that. And then in season when we started doing season two, MGM took me on and wanted to me to be the unit manager and really take care of budgets and numbers and all that kind of stuff along with accounting and, and the production manager. And uh, <clears throat> and so that year, MGM basically paid for me to join the guild, um, which was a five thousand dollar fee, and and I was thankful to them for that because it really got me, you know, set up in that way. And and then see that was season two, and then season three, I became the uh, production manager. Well, Andy Makita got his first directing gig on yes. uh, an episode called Foothold. In subsequent seasons, they kept giving Andy directing gigs for th- season three and four and so I got upgraded to production manager for those episodes and the beginning and ending where he was uh, going to be a director so yeah, and then slowly but surely then I took over and he became a director full time and I became the production manager full time and then in season wow. and that was for seasons five six and seven and then season eight was uh, the first year that I became the producer and production mm-hmm. manager. I'd like to go back to the new, to to this in a little bit, but uh, first of all, I, I think uh, to really get to get down to it, I want to go to the nucleus of of you here. Why did you want to get into this industry? Is it the thing to do in Vancouver? I mean, Vancouver is obviously considered North Hollywood. <laughs> How did you wind up in this? I uh, from the time uh, when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a doctor, like when I was a little kid. But then, as soon as I saw, it was it must have been. Indiana Jones, one of the Indiana Jones movies, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think. And I said, you know what? I want to be making that kind of a movie. I never, in my memory or recollection, ever wanted to be a director. I always wanted to be a producer. And and the reason being is that a producer sees a project through from the very nucleus, from the beginning stages, from the infantile stages of a project, all the way through until the end. Until you know, and you're still dealing with the studios years after the the project's done. I love seeing the whole scope of it and putting all the puzzle pieces together because a movie or a series is really like putting all the pieces of a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for me, that was the big thing. And that was what I really was looking forward to doing. Were you interested in sci-fi when you were younger at all? Or is this just uh, the, the big thing that's, that's in Vancouver, be honest? Uh, no, no. I, I want to say, no, I wasn't interested in sci-fi from the beginning, but uh, ultimately I did watch Star Trek, uh, Star, um, Star Wars, I love the Star Wars franchise. You know, I still remember I was in tears at the end of Empire Strikes Back because it was just so, uh, just, I was yeah. so frightened of Han Solo. I was so scared. I couldn't, I, I was just, that whole image of him being frozen in, in carbon yeah. was just, to me, scared me to death. I and mean, that's the first time that I ever thought of the possibility of death. And it was like, <gasps> oh, that's so scary. Did you see that in the theater? Yeah, I did. How old were you? Oh, God. I was born in 74. That came out in 82, didn't it? Uh, 80. 80, so okay. Yeah. You were six. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would have been scared too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that, yeah. Wow. So it, okay. uh, it, it was a... Uh, and so I, I, but I, and I, used, I did watch a few... I don't remember them as well as the Star Wars movies, but the yeah. Star Trek movies, um, Rathacon and that kind of thing. And I wanted to like them. And a, a good friend, one of my childhood friends that I grew up with, he did love... Uh, you know the whole sci-fi thing. I just never got into it, and so doing Stargate was really a 
journey into that realm. And to this day, just if you're talking the basis of shows, I really loved SG-1 because it was so tied to Earth. I, I liked Atlantis, and, and my relationship with David Hewlett is stretches far, and it was a great show to work on, but I do love the tie to Earth that SG-1 had and also that, uh, that universe is having. I really enjoy that a lot more. You said you were doing budgets for Gecko, is that correct? Yes. Tell us what that entails. I mean, are you are you is this budgets for the number of sets that are going to be produced in a season, the 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 props that can be involved? We never hear about this. We always hear about what David Hewlett's having for lunch. Talk to me, John. <laughs> Putting together a budget, you basically read a script and you break it down, characters, actors, you also break down sets, etc. And you put in I mean, in the, in the infantile stages, we all start with a template for a budget. And when you're first budgeting out, let's say, I'm just going to take a movie because it has a beginning, middle, and end. It's yeah. not like a series that runs for months and months. Um, a, a movie budget, for example, you'd you'd have the parameters like the the next Stargate movie that we've, you know, when we first got a script for a Stargate movie, before we even had a script, we put together a budget that was roughly, you throw in, $500,000 for visual effects and X hundred thousand dollars for construction. And, and those are just round numbers. And, and that's the, Yeah, it's a placeholder. And you don't really put together solid numbers until you have a script. And when you have a script, you actually break it down into sets, into you know characters, into actors. You don't necessarily break down the props, the costumes and all that. You just put in placeholder numbers for them and, and et cetera. I mean, the sets and you go to the biggest departments, I mean, the sets are a huge number, and you can sort of guesstimate in your mind based on experience and the sets you've built as to what that approximate amount would be. And then also with visual effects, you basically, if it's heavy on visual effects, you know it's going to be you know, 500 grand or, yeah. or more, depending on, you know, or, you know, uh, Tron, for example, is $100 million in visual effects. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, you know what kind of scope you're looking at. Is it just budget or is it also timetables as well and how long things need to get done? Like you say, visual effects, those take time. Those take man hours, and and the when you build sets, the those the lumber and uh, all the people who have to come in and build it, you know, that's all that comes that, together. That's all encompassing numbers. So uh-huh. you know, for example, if we had a set for a, a, a movie or something, you'd say the the uh, alien ship set. You'd put in two hundred and twenty thousand dollars because that's approximately what you've built an alien ship set for in the past. Got it. And then. You know, it could be more than that, could be less than that. You define it sort of as you go and and, uh, and with the production designer and art director. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you became full producer in uh, in season eight, uh, obviously. The uh, the show, you know, with, with, with Atlantis, I think like most of the actors had a, a contract for five years at the beginning. But with SG-1, you guys didn't know if the show was going to keep coming back. So as the show got older, I imagine it must have been really, really complicated to budget it. Not just from the actor's payments and standpoint like that, but that the show is, you know, the, the, the visual effects obviously get more expensive and, uh, and you don't know if you're coming back year after year at that point. I know you guys didn't until like season nine. No, no. And really, when we were budgeting it out, um, The actors know that was one thing that you kind of you kind of threw in a rough number for every year. You'd say X amount percentage increase, what have you. What the hard part was is really we'd throw in our perfect scenario for what we Mm -hmm. thought the budget would should be um, based on increasing crew rates, increasing cast rates, and then you come to a number and MGM comes back to you and says, "Well, you actually get a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars less an episode to do it," Uh and then you have to back out. 
and you pull your numbers down, and then you tell the writers what the numbers are, and they have to write within those boundaries. And when you're sitting in meetings, that's how it worked. It was you put in your best case, and it's like a negotiation with the studio. You put in your budget for what you thought it would cost to make the show, and and then um, they'd come back to you with a number substantially lower than that. And then you'd have to kind of either find some middle ground or make your numbers work to what theirs are. Especially for Atlantis, which is obviously a massive city and you want to show it in season one. I remember Brad saying, it. you know, we want to have a window here, but we simply can't afford it because we know that the siege is going to be so expensive. But, you know, I mean that as the as the as the show gets older, you know, obviously you figure out new ways of doing things and find uh, more cost effective ways of achieving stuff. In season eight, we ended up doing six days an episode, and that really killed the crew. Is that down from seven days an episode? Yeah, it was down from seven. Right now on Universe in season one, we're doing eight days an episode. SG-1 started in season one and through season three, I think, doing seven and a half days an episode. And then went down to seven days an episode. Um, Eight really is the perfect time frame, quite frankly. Which means that you give more time per page, per per episode, and you get to fine-tune... As opposed to just moving from thing to thing and, and moving wow. on. Okay. Um, and you get to defi- you get a chance to define the show. When we did the Six Days an Episode, it really killed the crew, the cast, okay. because trying to shove this amount of work into something this big, I think the show suffered. Now, when we get into Season 9, it went back to seven-day episodes, and subsequently Season 10, we went back to seven days an episode. And due to where we were financially during the season, some episodes you do in six, and sometimes you did them in eight. It just depended on the size and scope of the episode that you were talking about. Location shooting, bottle episodes, everything like that. That's all right. Exactly. In. exactly. One so, massive soup. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, ultimately, you have X amount of millions of dollars to do all 20 episodes. So as long as you come in on that number or under that number, you're in a good standing. John, how do you sleep? I would be pulling my hair out with that kind of level of responsibility. Do you just roll with it? I mean, how does this work, man? Well, you know, in the beginning seasons, I'd work weekends and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm constantly thinking. And with experience comes a little bit more relaxation around that stuff. You find a way to get through it. And you really are working as a team. And everybody's working together to try and put it all together as a package. And everybody's on the same page. And, you know, if you have the support of your executive producers, like Brad and Robert, who have been fantastic, um, and they really, you go to them and you're up front with them. You're not trying to hide anything. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing, is that as long as you're transparent with these guys and it's not us versus them, the way the studios used to run, and this is not the case now, but the way they used to run, it was us versus them. So you'd have production being somebody like me or John Smith versus the creatives and it'd really be the clashing of the executive producers are running us into the ground and costing us so much money, so you have to stand up to them. On this show, that isn't the case. And as long as the team of us are on the same page as where we're headed financially or what we're doing, then you're all working together. And the writers can effectively write to the budget and et cetera, et cetera, and you're, you're just playing the game together. Mm-hmm. Now, it obviously, you know, it comes down to budgets and everything like that. But uh, tell us some of the moments uh, that you've had over the course of 13 years of working on this massive project where uh, where you have said, this is why I am involved in this. Well, funny, um, it came, I was telling Carol's story earlier, it came a couple months ago. Uh, it was during the first few weeks of Universe. And we were shooting a scene with Robert Carlyle. And it was just him in the scene. The scene that we were shooting, he walks into a room, 
puts his iPod in a docking station, it starts playing, he goes over to the side of the bed, looks at a picture, and starts crying. There was about six of us behind the monitors at that moment, and we were all in tears. All had watery eyes, and it was like, holy crap. What an amazing sensation to feel that. On a set, very rarely does that happen because you don't have the acting talent that can generate that much charisma at any given moment. And it was just, it was, it was just wild. It made me go, wow, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that really was, that was exciting to get that and to hear that and to, to see that. So that really is, for me, the most recent defining moment as to why I love my job. You get to see all that from the, uh, really from the, from the bottom up and then get to go online and watch us either tear it up or say, wow, we agree. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's, you know, and it's, it's true. It's, we all have our gratifying moments. And, and that to me was one of the big gratifying moments for, for me currently uh, because Atlantis was a hard show. There was a lot of personalities and it was, it was difficult at times. So being on something that re-inspires you, yet it's a different variation of the same thing because mm-hmm. it's Stargate, but it's a completely new cast, completely new storylines, and it's uh, that much different. It really was an amazing sensation. So when you became a full producer in season eight, uh, what, what kind of changes did you have in, in your daily routine? What were some of the new challenges that you faced? Well, that was also the year that we started doing two shows at the same time. And so... That in itself was a huge undertaking. Forty hours a year. That's I'm, still, I'm still shocked that we did that. I'm, you know, would I do it again? I can't say that I that I jumped the, at the opportunity. It was extremely stressful, extremely uh, intense, um, so busy, so busy. I mean, it makes now look like a, a walk in the park, and, and even last, even the last couple of seasons of Atlantis when SG One wasn't happening, uh, it made them seem like a walk in the park comparatively, just because so much of the shows were tied together. You had to watch what stage you were shooting in on what day, and you, we'd had this master calendar in the production office that you'd go up and you'd look to make sure that you won't conflict one show won't mm-hmm. conflict with the other. That you're not sh- that, so all of a sudden you're sharing actors. All of a sudden, you're sharing stages. All of a sudden, you're sharing all the crew. Mm-hmm. Not all the shooting crew, but all the prepping crew. And it sent your mind for a loop. You know, when uh, they started doing two shows at once, uh, you guys were obviously talking about being able to share uh, stages, share assets and everything like that. In in hindsight, was it worth it? For the financial profile of the, of the shows that we were trying to make, yes, it was. Okay. At the time. Financially, yes. Um, creatively, I don't think so. Okay. But fiscally, yes. At that time, it was about, let's get another Stargate on the air. I mean, when we originally embarked on Atlantis, SG-1 was going to wrap up nicely after Season 7. Lost City was going to lead into the Stargate SG-1 movie, which would, you know, then offshoot into other movie projects, etc., etc. Atlantis came along, and then Sci-Fi picked up SG-1 at the same time and said they want two Stargate series. And what we're going to do is, it was like, the most cost-effective way of doing it was the way that we did it. Um, it was a killer and brutal on crew and myself and, and uh, George Horry, uh, the production manager on Atlantis at the time. It was great for me because my job changed because John Smith was basically totally focused on Atlantis at that moment because it was the new series. It was, you know, let's make this big and spectacular. And SG-1 was like, let's just keep it going. So I was left autonomously basically with, with SG-1. 
And with the constant updates and all that kind of thing, we'd share information, etc. So being autonomously in charge of SG-1 was a great experience for me because it just built my own confidence. Uh, confidence yeah. in, in the job. Well, I know for a while there you were considering changing the title of the show from SG-1 to Stargate Command in Season 9, rebranding it, effectively making it a new show. Tell us about that major shift. I mean, it was a new show in Season 9. What kind of challenges did that bring you personally? What kind of challenges did it bring the show from your perspective? Always having new actors involved in the show, uh, especially coming into a long-running series, is always new and exciting. Ben Browder was fantastic, and Claudia Blackman was fantastic. Um, they fit in remarkably well. It was a nice fit. RDA was spectacular all the time, but really shooting around his schedule, and he would only work three and a half days a week and had every fourth week off. And Amanda, Chris, and Michael, you were working to the bone to accommodate Richard Dean Anderson's schedule. Yeah. Going from that to all of a sudden not having to deal with that and yet being able to do a, a show that was... It was really about taking it in a new direction with the Ori. It was exciting. It was exciting. It was At that point, we, because Atlantis was shooting, we afforded ourselves the build of the huge village set that we had, which would never have been able to be done just on a single series. Is that still intact this year? It is not. What an extraordinary piece that was to have for, for the years that you did. Yeah, it was it was quite an amazing uh, set. It was just, it was it was beautiful. It was, and the first when we first built it, it was spectacular. And and, um, and when we first used it in the first episodes of season nine, it was just it was like wow, mm-hmm. wow. So that was that was one of the that was one of the fun things about having the ability to spend the money on two shows, which you wouldn't be able to afford normally on just on one show. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, you know, Rick. Obviously, you know he. Uh... He's, he's earned the right to have the priorities that he does. He has earned the right to spend more time with his daughter. But when he left the show, I really think it was obvious from me as a viewer that you guys were freed up far more than you were and were able to stick in Ben Browder whenever you wanted as opposed to, and your four team members. Did morale really improve at that point too because of the, the types of shows that you were able to tell? Absolutely, absolutely. And morale across the board, it was just, it became a little bit more freedom in terms of shooting freedom, what you were able to do uh, because you didn't have a scheduling issue. Yeah, you said it right. Rick earned his stripes big time. And he was the one that, he was the reason that we got, that SG-1 got made in the first place. And exactly. he, was the one, he was the one major reason that it went for so long and drew in all the viewers. And I mean, Rick is Mr. Charisma. If you had to sit any other actor down and say, this is who you want them to be like, in terms of people skills, Rick is so charismatic, he can walk into a room and light it up. And he's very private, and he has the other side of him, which is very private and very, you know, just likes his own space, etc. But when he walks into a room, you really feel like there's a, there's, you know, wow, he's a personality. Who does that on SGU? I'm trying to go through my head. I mean, Louis is hysterically funny in his dry sense of humor. Bobby is just, he has a charisma, and he's just so, uh, he's a Gentile man and just so wonderful to speak to huge history buff knows so much about world history um just love chatting with him uh brian smith and i are really good friends uh and we just we do a lot together we hang out a lot david blue is david blue i mean he's he's larger than life Mm. and and he's a great guy uh at least levesque is wonderful jameel is you know jameel he is the 
he's a mix of Chris Judge, all the good things of Chris Judge and of Jason Momoa, all wrapped into one package. He's loud and hysterical, and you can hear his his laughter is infectious, and you can hear it a mile away. Elena Huffman is my actually she's my second cousin. Really, in real life, yes, yes, she's fantastic because she's family, <laughs> and she's loved by all. And uh, and she's Croatian as well, so that's you know even why you know to work with people like Ming Na and Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, Ming specifically came from Lou. His his reputation precedes him as being such a wonderful guy and so genuine and talks to everybody and is the most is the sweetest guy in the world. And so and that is so true. Um, and Ming Na just is so lovely. She's funny and she's fantastic. There's one day on set in the pilot, shooting of the pilot, where, and this, you know, I don't know, you can print this or whatever, um, they, 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 like, they laugh at fart jokes. Oh, jeez. So Elena and Louie got out the fart machine, and all day long for a full 12-hour day, he and Elena and Ming were laughing hysterically oh, every wow. time he pressed the button on the fart machine. <laughs> and I'm not one for fart humor because I'm a bit of a prude and I just don't get it. And I think that, you know, it's rude, but uh, that's just me. Um, and, but every time it was for 12 hours on set, they would be in hysterics, putting it beside somebody and pressing it as they walked by or as and it was... They got a new crew member or a new cast member every single hour. It was it was just they they just had the most fun. I mean, and that's and that's Ming. She you can hear her laughter a mile away. It's so important for your cast to enjoy each other. It's so important not to not to go to your the the folks above you and say you know what I can't I can't get what's his face out of the trailer and I can't get what's her face out of the trailer. You know, and when you said Bobby instead of Mister Carlisle, that I, I assume that you're talking about Robert Carlisle. That yeah, says absolutely. it all. That says it all about your relationship and what will make it to the screen. Because that's where it has to begin. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I endeavored to do in starting this new show is is I really um, wanted to uh, get the cast and, and, and really make sure that them as a group and individually and myself were of allies because really we have to work together and it's yeah. me scheduling them and them being able to show up and do their lines and be happy about what they're in their schedule and all that. I made a point of taking every one of them out for, to dinner individually just because it's it's so important for me to know where I'm coming from and for me to know them and so that we have this mutual respect and and that was that was extremely valuable and 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 our relationships have grown since that obviously and we spend a lot of time together even outside of the studio and outside of work we actually go out for dinner and and it's they're great. Oh yeah, I've seen the Facebook photos. yes fans are going to kill me if I don't ask you Uh, the Atlantis movie any updates I don't know anything okay Uh, we haven't we haven't heard anything Um, as far as I know it's it's in the works and it's just a matter of of the studio uh, saying when where do you see yourself in five years do you still see yourself with with the show with (laughs) this hit Stargate universe that's doing just as good as Battlestar Galactica and Lost and uh, or do you see yourself moving on? I mean, at, at what point do you say, you know, I need a career change. I love you guys, but I feel stagnant in my career. It's interesting. I, I have thought of that. Um, I, I thought of it more while doing Atlantis. It, Atlantis was a, a, a tough show for me. It was really a tough show. And, and uh, ultimately, at the end of that, I was like, you know, maybe it's time to move on. And, and 
And it was a serious consideration of mine if it went season six, whether I'd want to do it or not. Um, yes, I'd, if for, uh, there's all, as many reasons to do it as there was to not yeah. do it. And, you know, one of them is, is my friendship and, and allegiance with David Hewlett and, and with Brad and Rob and, and Joe and Paul and Carl. And it just, but then, you know, you go, well, maybe it falls into the life's too short category as well. It was when Universe got picked up and, and I was like, Jazz. I absolutely loved working with John Smith, best guy in the world to work with, mm-hmm. and awesome. Um, but when he was had mentioned that he was going to be uh, sort of going slipping into retirement, and they'd give yeah. me the reins to the show, it was kind of like, wow, that's really cool. Um, and I would love to do the job, and it would it would it's something new, right? It's you know it's giving me the ability to do what works for for myself and hiring the people that I want to work with as well, um, or that have worked with us for the last how long, and and really developing the relationship with them and on this new series. And then Bobby Carlyle fell into place right at the beginning, and it was like this is an amazing opportunity, and I would this is a new show, and I saw the direction that we were headed. It was something completely different than Atlantis, and it was really exciting. And it was like I felt that excited feeling again that comes over you when you start working on a project that you can just feel is going to be excellent. Atlantis was a spinoff of SG-1. And mm-hmm. it's important to reinvigorate yourself. And it's important to go in a new direction. Because if you don't change, you stagnate and you die. That was one of the most exciting things that I heard about Universe. You were wanting to go in a completely new direction. And I myself as a viewer, I can't speak for any of the other fans who disagree with me. I, as a viewer, need that. I need something new. So, you know, it's it's on both sides of the table. Ryan Smith actually did an interview, which will be posted online in the coming weeks, and he said something that really rings in my head. We're hoping that the fans who watch a series, who have watched it for 13 years, will look forward to something new and exciting, as opposed to just the same old, same old. I mean, anybody can do the same, but to do something new and exciting outside the box and gritty and not neat and clean and reality and all that kind of stuff is we hope that people are going to be reinvigorated by that whole aspect of it um that's and that's the passion that comes with working on the new show with the new cast with the new stories with the new scripts and character drama character drama character drama it feels like you know you're working on something that's going to be great mm-hmm. that's awesome and you know and where i see myself five years from now i've thought about it but I just I, I don't know I don't know you know uh, as long as this as long as I'm enjoying coming to work every day and as long as I love getting up every morning and coming to work and don't start resenting it I'll yeah. be here you know and that's the most important thing because I've been at the place where I resented it and it's not fun because you get up and you're like oh but coming here every day on this show and how it's been for the last few months has been awesome yeah that's great. And it's a whole new ball game, you know. I mean, obviously it's going to depend on how Universe does on on the air and whether or not they pick it up for another season, but uh it's going to be an interesting journey. Absolutely, without a doubt. Like I said, the, these cast and and myself, I mean, I'm in this new position. I'm exploring my all, this whole new series is about exploration and discovery. And that's really the the bottom line here and and for me too in a personal uh, how I'm exploring this job and and how it's different from what I was doing in seasons past it's exciting and it's all about discovery and the new challenges that it brings you I mean I wake up every day saying I'm going to learn something new every day and as long as you keep doing that that's the most important thing 